It's great to see you. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis 28. We're continuing, of course, our study of the life of Jacob. And, of course, Genesis, we've seen Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. It's this time he's running for his life, and he is fleeing from his angry brother, and he's going to live with his mother's relatives. Now, here's some things to think about. This evening, if we can get it up, this evening Jacob has an encounter with God. I mean, think about it. God appears to him in a dream. He gives him these great promises. Jacob realizes that God is with him. Now, there's a second thing that we think about as we look through this, and that is, go ahead to the next slide. We see God's display of grace found in this covenant and Jacob's response of fear and worship. And what we see really is the grace of God. And as we look at this passage, let me just raise some questions just to think about how does a person come to God? I mean, we're going to talk about that. Then what are the promises given in God's covenant? Because we see that the promise from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, they're all the same, and yet they affect us in a sense. How should we respond? And how does Jacob respond to all this? And we'll see how this fits together as we see Jacob's encounter with God. Let's do a, a, Let's start with a little prayer, and then what we can do is we can go into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for each one that's here and just the privilege we have of coming together to study your word. Lord, we just ask you as we look at Jacob as he's on his way and we see what happens. We see Jacob and we see Esau and we see uh, the whole the, the idea of the, of, of the ladder and the opening and, and all of these different things. Lord, thank you for the promises that you made to Abraham through Isaac and then on through Jacob. And Lord, that uh, it all deals with the great Messiah and the Savior. So Lord, we just ask you to teach us now as we study. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the word religion. Religion, the word, this word means different things to different people. I mean, think about it. To some people, the word religion is bad. Like, they say something like, it was crammed down my throat when I was a child. Religion was, you know. To other people, they say, give me that old-time religion, right? So the truth is there are many religions in the world, and the world is just full of them. But what religion is, really, religion is a system where man does something to please God. And by doing this, God will accept this person. That's what religion is. It's, uh, it's where man does something to get to God. Whether it's uh, praying seven times a day or offering some kind of sacrifice or joining the church or being baptized or walking down some aisle or doing something. It's something that man does to say, I've done this. This should please God. So religion is man pleasing God. Now, when you want to understand that Christianity is different. Because Christianity is not a religion. It is not God. It is not man pleasing God. Christianity is God pleasing God. It is God who does it all. It is God who so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So when you think about it, we can say religion. People come up and say you're a religious person. You say no, I'm not religious at all. Not religious at all. Uh, Christianity is not a religion. Religion is where man does something to get to God. Christianity, God has done it all. God is pleased, and what God does is offer the gift. To, to, to human beings. It is God who does it all. It is God who so loved the world. So Christianity really isn't a religion uh, because man doesn't really have a part in what he does as far as uh, the salvation end of it. Man takes the gift. Religion is man-made. Man's way of trying to come to God. Christianity is God's way. Well, how does a person come to God? Think about that. I mean, it's not by religion. It's not by what a man does. It's simply by faith in Jesus Christ. God's done it all for us. This evening, we're going to see Jacob. He has an encounter with God. And what we see is God's grace in Jacob's life. Now, if you look at his life up to this point, what has Jacob done to deserve anything from God? The answer is absolutely nothing. Uh, What had Esau done to deserve uh, the, the blessings of God? Absolutely nothing. What has Isaac uh, done to deserve the blessings of God. We'd say, well, nothing really. What did Abraham do to deserve the blessings of God? The answer is 
Nothing, really. I mean, God just said, Abraham, I'm choosing you. I want you to go to this land. I'm going to give you the land, see the blessing, all of those things. What did you do to get the blessings of God? What did you do to deserve the blessings of God? Nothing. In fact, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. Not yourself. It's the gift of God. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. What we see is the grace of God in Jacob's life as Jacob has this encounter. Let me break down the passage for you. First of all, uh, we won't get all of it tonight, but uh, Jacob is sent away. This is verses 1 through 9. Isaac gives the blessing, which is what he should have done to begin with. But we saw Esau's response to this. You know, I think deep down that Esau thought maybe somewhere down the line that his father, Isaac, would come back and say, Hey, I'm changing my mind on this blessing thing. I'm going to give it to you anyway. I think he did for a while. And we'll see what happens. Then the second thing is we're going to see Jacob's encounter with God. And Jacob has the dream. God gives the promises. And we see Jacob's response. And we won't get all of that. We'll, In fact, we'll stop about verse 17. And then we'll finish it all, the whole chapter next week. And there's a few other things we want to throw in there so you can look at it as we go through it. Well, let's begin. Jacob's being sent away. Remember what happened. Isaac was old. He didn't know when he was going to die. He lives a number of years later, 40-something years on further after that. But he doesn't know that then. He's blind. He calls for his oldest son Esau, and he wants to give him the blessing. Now, the problem with that is it's wrong. God, before the boys were ever born, had already said that the the uh, older will serve the younger, that the blessing is going to go to the younger son, and the younger son, of course, is Jacob. The covenant, the promises from Abraham to Isaac now would go to Jacob, not to Esau. But, but uh, Isaac wants to bring in Esau and give him the blessing. Now... Isaac knew that uh, this was wrong, but uh, he knew what was right, and he knew what was wrong, and he knew he was doing wrong. Now, Jacob and his mother, Rebecca, heard all this. In fact, Rebecca Hall found out about it. She goes to Jacob and says, I want you to pretend to be your brother. Go in there and get the blessing. They knew that it was wrong. Now, they thought, but it's right that I get the blessing. So even if I have to lie or cheat or steal or trick, I'm going to get the blessing because I'm supposed to get the blessing. Well, we don't do, we don't do, you know, we, we don't do wrong to get something in right, you know. So we, we saw that Jacob lied, he pretended to be Esau, Esau, he stole the blessing. They wanted the right thing, they did it the wrong way. But what is so amazing in all of this, we looked at it, all four of them were doing wrong. Isaac's doing wrong by trying to bless Esau. Esau's doing wrong by trying to get the blessing. Rebecca's doing wrong by lying and trying to get the blessing on Jacob instead of Esau. And Jacob's doing wrong by lying. All four of them are lying and doing wrong. And yet, God works out his perfect plan through all four of them. Because God said a long time ago, Jacob's going to be blessed. And, and, you know, one of the great things about that is we just see the sovereignty of God, that he works all things. As the Bible says in Ephesians 1, he works all things according to the counsel of his will, as we see in Romans 8, that he works all things together for good. Those that love God, those that are called according to his purpose. So we see over and over that God is working. Now, when it's all over with, and Jacob comes in there and gets blessed, and then when Esau comes back in and says, okay, bless me, and he says, wait a minute, I already blessed somebody. Who are you? And then he realizes he's blessed Jacob. I mean, he's blessed, yeah, he's blessed Jacob just as what he was supposed to do. He, he, you know, it was just a a mess. And so Esau says, well, I'm not going to say anything right now. But just as soon as my father is dead, I'm going to kill him. Rebecca finds out because she loves 
she loves Jacob more than she loves Esau. And, and uh, you know, Isaac loved Je- Esau more than he loved Jacob. They, they, they had all kind of problems in their family. And so look what happens when Rebekah finds this out. Look at verse 41 of chapter 27, just a little review. Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessings which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. What he's saying is, my father's going to die soon. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to wait till dad's dead, and then I'll kill him. Now, the words, when the words of her, of, the elder, of her elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consulting himself concerning you by planning to kill you. You know, uh, who started this whole mess? Let me ask you something. Who started the whole mess there? You first, we all first want to say Rebecca because she's the one that got the trick going. But it, it was, it, who was it? It was Isaac because he's doing the wrong thing. He's not supposed to bless Esau. He's supposed to bless Jacob. So the whole thing is a mess. But she says, son, I think you're in trouble. Well, whose fault is that, mom? Well, it's all their fault. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise and flee to Haran to my brother Laban. Here's her plan. You get away, get to my brother Laban and stay there. Now, notice what she says in verse 44. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides. She doesn't think it's going to be very long. She thinks you'll go up there. And when it says a few days, you realize that it's a 500-mile trip. And in those days, that took months to get there. So we're not talking about a couple of days. We're talking about a, long, a, a you know a four or five, six month trip there. Stay there for some time, and then make that trip back. So she's figuring, when she says a few days, she's probably meaning a year, year and a half. You know, you go get there, and then come back when your brother angry, when your brother's angry, uh, fury and anger subsides, and that way everything will be okay. Now we know that. She plans to send him away, but the consequences of the action, he stays gone over 20 years, and she never sees him again. Her favorite son, because of the concept, because of what she's done, what they've done, there are consequences in every aspect of this thing. And she'll never see him again. So she goes, how's she going to get Isaac to send him away? So here's what she does. Verse 46, Rebecca says to Isaac, I'm tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, like these from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Now, in a roundabout way, she says, you know what? I don't like these, these foreign women that are around here for my son. And if he were to marry one of these women, I think I would just die. My life wouldn't be worth living. And so what she's really saying is, let's get our son and let's let him marry somebody that's not one of these foreign women around here. Let's, let's send him back to my relatives and let's find a wife for him there because I don't want him to marry one of these foreign women. What has already happened with Esau? What did he do? You know, we've seen it already. What did he do? He married, he married some of these foreign women already and it displeased the whole family. It displeased everybody. Well, watch what happens. Chapter 28, verse 1. So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Now, Isaac called Jacob. Now, uh, the, the one who had been deceived by his son realizes that at the same time, this was God's plan. You know, he could say, I'm really upset with my son for tricking me, but he knows the truth is that even though his son tricked him, he was doing wrong, son was doing wrong, but they did exactly what God had already commanded him to do, and that was to bless Jacob. So uh, this is the key. He calls him and he does two things. Notice what he says. So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him. Now he does two things. 
there's blessing and the charge. Now, the charge comes first, okay? The charge comes first, and notice what it is. Notice what it is. He says, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. He said, I don't want you to marry any of these Canaanite women. Not take a wife from the Canaanites. We want you to marry our own family. Man, we're all in this thing together. The Canaanites were the pagan people. They, they, he, he wanted them to marry for their own relatives. He didn't want to connect with them. You know, we see this over and over. When the nation of Israel, every time they'd come into the land, God would tell them, do not intermarry with the people in the land to the Canaanites. In fact, why is it? Why is it that God says, don't connect with the Canaanite people? There's really two things. Anybody know what they are? What would be one of them? Can you think of anything? Huh? Exactly. They're cursed. Cursed be to Canaan. When Ham did wrong, one of the descendants of Ham was Canaan. And God said that part of the curse would be the cursing on the Canaanites. And they are. God's going to destroy every one of these people groups. He's going to use his own nation to do it. What was another reason not to connect with these women in this area? Uh, they're pagan and they have, the, you know, they're false gods. So you marry into that and you get connected with that. So he says, listen, here's my charge. First of all, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Here's what he says. Arise and go to Panamaram, to the house of Bethel. He's basically saying go back to what we'd say is Iran, Iraq. Go back to Haran, to that part of the world. Go to the house of Bethel, your mother's father. And from there, take to yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Do you remember a long time ago when we saw the study about how Rebekah got down there, the servant of, of, of Abraham went up there and, and uh, uh, you know, found that family. And, and there was the brother of Rebekah. His name was Laban. And well, Laban, we could already tell right then that Laban liked money. Laban liked things. I mean, he was one of those guys. He's kind of a, he's a smooth operator. And what we're going to find out that Jacob, who is a deceiver, is going to meet the smooth operator. And somebody's going to come out on the losing end of this deal. And you remember whatever it says, be not deceived, whatever, God is not mocked, whatever you sow, should you also reap. What has Jacob been doing? Tricking people. What's going to happen to him when he gets up here? He's going to get tricked. In fact, one of the first things he says to his father-in-law, you tricked me. And the father-in-law goes, oh, really? Oh, I forgot to tell you. I forgot to tell you how we do things up here. We'll see it when we get there. It's a couple. It's not too far away, really, actually. It's basically when we get into chapter 29. So we're almost there now. He says, Arise and go to Pedamaram, to the house of Bethel, your, fa- your mother's father, and from there you take a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So that's great. Now, that's the charge. Well, here's the blessing. And look what the blessing is. May God Almighty bless you. And make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. Now, this is the blessing. And realize, this is what he should have done before. He should have put, now he blessed him before, but he didn't know it was him. Now he's actually doing it. Notice how he starts off. God Almighty. You know what God Almighty is? You know what names that is? It's El Shaddai. El Shaddai. El means God and Shad means either mountain or breast. It does. It means the God who provides, the God who supplies. He's the God of the mountain. He's the God of the provider. He says, the mighty God, the El Shaddai, He will bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. That they're going to have, He's going to bless you. He's going to, God's going to bless you. And he's going to give you many offspring. And he's going to give you a wife. And it's going to happen. And you're going to have all kinds of children. That's what, that's the blessing that He wants. He says, I want God to bless you in that way. And you'll have all kinds of people. And then look at verse 4. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham. 
to you and your descendants with you, that you may possess the land of your sojourners, which God gave to Abraham. The blessing of Abraham. He's passing on the blessing. Do you know what the blessing of Abraham was? Do you remember? You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, and there's three things. What is it? The land, the seed, and the blessing. That's the big three. That's what he promised him. The land, of course, is the land what we call Israel. It's the land of Canaan at that time. It's the land of Israel. The seed, of course, will be, a, will be children, descendants. So the ultimate seed is going to be the Messiah. And the blessing is that all the nations of the world will be blessed through him because the Messiah comes through him. That was the promise to Abraham. He's basically saying, may he give you the blessing of Abraham. Do you realize before this chapter is over, we're going to see it tonight, that God gives him the blessing of Abraham. We'll see it. We'll see it just a, just a few verses. It's not going to be very far down the way. We're going to see it. And if you remember all the way back to, to chapter 12 of Genesis, the land, the seed, the blessing, the land of Israel, the offspring, and all the nation of the world will be blessed, is now being passed from Isaac to Jacob. It had been passed from Abraham to Isaac, and now Isaac to Jacob. Isaac is now doing right. It's never too late to do what is right. Think about that one. You know, you blew it. We blew it. We all do things wrong. We go, that's wrong. Oh, boy, I've messed up now. It is never too late to start over. It is never too late to begin doing what is right. You may say, well, look how I've messed up and I've just made everything a mess. It is never too late to say, but from this point on, I'm doing the right things. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. It's never too late. Confess sin. Be faithful, in, and he's faithful in just to forgive us and to cleanse us and to go on with our lives. Isaac did wrong by trying to bless Esau, but now he's doing right by blessing Jacob. Think about some times in your life where you've blown it, where you've done wrong. It is never too late to start over. It is never too late to do what is right. He will forgive and cleanse. Well, watch this, because the covenant that had been given for, to, from God to Abraham and Abraham to Isaac is now going to Jacob. Look at verse 5. Then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padamaram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. So he sends him away, and all he puts is one, one sentence. So he went away, and he went there. Now, we're going to see the journey in just a minute. That's just the general statement that he says this is what happens. Now, he's planning to go there to get a wife, but he's also planning to go there to save his own life he will be gone uh, I think I don't know if there's enough he will be gone over 20 years 20 years he gets two wives there isn't that, isn't that right do you remember how long he had to work for a wife seven years and he worked so 14 he got two wives he had to work at least what 14 years we know at least 14 years but when you look at the scripture it was over 20 years so he was there 20 years uh, uh, when his mom thought he would be gone for a few days well, what's the response by Esau? Because, you know, Esau, do you think in the back of Esau's mind, and I brought it up a while ago, do you think Esau might have been thinking, listen, listen, I know my dad. I know he loves me better. I know that he wants the best for me. We know that we got tricked out of this deal. We know that dad's going to do what's right down the line. Daddy's going to trick this thing back, and I'm going to get the blessing one way or the other. I think he thinks that. I think he keeps thinking somehow that Isaac will work this thing out. But notice what we find. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padamaram to take to himself a wife from there and that when he blessed him, he charged him saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. You know what he's seen? He said, wait a minute. He really did bless him. And he didn't bless him by tricking. I mean, it wasn't a trick. He, he, he knew it was him when he blessed him this time. And he told him to go up there and he told him that he would get blessed and he told him to go find a wife. 
And that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padamaram. Now, he says, you know, this, this is, you could see Esau going, he really did bless him. And he obeyed. And he's gone. He's going to get a wife up there. He's getting all the breaks. Everything is his way. Everything has always been his way. And what kind of person, before we feel sorry for Esau, what kind of person is he? How does the Bible describe him? Godless and what? Immoral. You don't want those two words connected with your life, okay? You don't want it, JB, godless and immoral. You know, scratch that out. You don't want that by you. That's what the Bible says about this guy before we get all sad for him and say, poor guy, everything got ripped off there. No, he's a godless, immoral man. So what does he do? It says, he saw that, uh, that, that Isaac sent Jacob away and that Jacob obeyed his father. So look, verse 8. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac. You know, that's true. Listen to this. This is back in chapter 26. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Basemith, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. He married two Hittite women already. Already he's done that. And the verse goes on to say, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, he's already married two women he wasn't supposed to marry. They were foreign women he wasn't supposed to. They've already brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Now he sees that Jacob's going over there to get a wife from his mama's relatives. So what does he decide to do? So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac. And Esau went to Ishmael and married, beside the wives that he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. What did he do on purpose? As soon as he saw that it upset, he knew that it would make his daddy mad, he said, I'm going to go do just what I know will make my father upset. Why is he doing this? Why is he doing it? What do you think? Anybody want to say? You're not going to be wrong. He's mad. He's mad because his father's given the blessing to his brother, and he didn't want to have the, bless- the brother to have the blessing. He think he should have it, even though he already knows what God says. He says, "I don't care what God says because I'm what? I'm godless and immoral. I don't care. I want the blessing. And so, if my daddy's going to give that blessing away, I'll just show him. I'll do something that I know he does not want me to do. I'll do that." He saw that the Canaanite woman, women displeased, and so he goes and he married. And I got, he'd already had the Canaanite wives. I already showed you that. Sometimes we, don't we do sometimes just the opposite of what we should do? Why is that? Why don't we, why don't we do things we know are wrong? Because of what? What do we have? We have the flesh. We have a natural bent to sin. Let me tell you, we have a natural bent to go against what God wants us to do. We have a natural bent to do it. And also, whenever there's a law, whenever there's a principle, the law causes us to what? Sin. And so if it says, don't look through this hole, what are you going to do? Nobody telling me not to look through a hole. I'll look through a hole if I want to look through a hole, right? He's saying, so it makes my father upset. I'm going to go marry this woman on purpose. Why? Because I'm going to make my father mad. Because I'm mad about this thing, and I will do what I want to do. We got a tough passage. Uh, last, this Sunday morning it was, is, is going to be a hard passage. Uh, we talked a little bit about it, but next week it's going to be a lot harder because the passage basically directly tells us truths from the Bible that are contrary to our culture. 
And there are going to be some people that when they read those passages, they say, I don't think that's right, I don't like that a bit. Now, it's not that they don't understand the passage. It's that they don't like the passage. Esau understood exactly what was going on. He just didn't like what was going on. And sometimes in our lives, the Word of God is so clear, and yet we say, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm not. That's Esau. Be careful. How do we respond to the truths found in the Bible? Do we want to do God's will or not do God's will? Well, let's quickly, let's see Jacob's encounter with God. This is such a famous passage for most people. That's the children's story. What is it? I am climbing or we are climbing what? Jacob's ladder. What is Jacob's ladder? I heard of Jacob's ladder all my life. I didn't know any Bible stories. I didn't have a clue of who Jacob was or why he had a ladder. You know? What was he trying to do with a ladder? I don't know. But we're going to see the grace of God because God affirms the covenant with Jacob giving him the blessings that have been passed down. Now, what did he do to deserve any of this? Absolutely nothing. So it's not based on what Jacob does, but based on the grace of God. So we're going to see a couple of things that God reminds Jacob of the covenant and the blessing, and we see how Jacob responds in worship. We won't get to see all of that tonight. But let's think about Jacob. He's a man of contrast. Think about this. He's a man of prayer. He's a man of prayer. He had faith. He desired a relationship with God. He desired to be an obedient man. He did. At the same time, what is he? He's a slick con man. He is. And you could say it a lot of different ways, but he was a slick guy. He knew exactly how to trick his brother to get that to get the birthright. He knew what to do. You know, he followed through with the plan to get the blessing. He his name means deceiver. He fits his name at this stage. Now God's going to change his name from Jacob to what? Israel which means Prince of God. He's going to change his name from deceiver to prince. We'll see what happens there. Well, look at verse 10. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. Beersheba is the southern part of Israel, very southern part of the land, and he's going to go a long way. It is a, it is a long, long, long trip. It's, it's way over 500 miles. It's going to take months. He's going to go back across the Tigris-Euphrates River. You remember when Abraham crossed over, left uh, the Ur of the Chaldees, went up to Haran, and then crossed over the Tigris-Euphrates River, and then headed down to what we call the land of Israel. People nicknamed him Hebrews, because Hebrew means the one who crosses over. And people say, where are you from? I crossed over the river. I came from over that part of the world. He said, yo, you're a crosser over. You're a Hebrew. That's where the name Hebrew came from. And so he's going back across the river to go back to the family to see if he can get a wife. Do you realize that if you look carefully and look through the Scripture and put it together, he's about 75 or 76 years old, and he's still not married. And no kids. That's as old as Abraham was when he got the original promise. Look what happens. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. Well, I don't think that's that smooth of a pillow, but anyway, I guess he thought it was. He lays down, and he's got this little stone marker, and he puts, his, it puts a place to lay down. And we're going to see that there's an encounter. Look at verse, uh, in verse 11. He came to that certain place. Verse 12, he had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. Now, the word ladder in the Hebrew doesn't mean necessarily a ladder like we put and you got the things and you climb up the ladder. It's almost like a, like a, a runway, a path. It's like a big slide almost that, that's, that's kind of pointing up there. And it's like the angels are going up and down on this slide. That's what he sees. He sees like a slide and he sees them going up and down, up and down, ascending and descending. And... Uh, 
We know the angels, that these, this, these angels are the, uh, I think angels are going up and down the ladder. They're the supernatural beings, angels of God's messengers. We just finished in my Sunday school class a whole study on angels and who they are. They're basically, by ascending and descending, it's a picture of them coming and going from heaven. These powerful beings being sent by God, servants doing the things that God wants them to do. We know there are two groups of angels. There are the fallen angels, which are called demons, and the good angels, which uh, are sometimes called the elect angels. Before man fell, we know that the most powerful angel named Lucifer was called son of the morning, guarded the throne of God, rebelled against God, wanted to be God, was removed. Some other angels went with him. And so you have a combination. You have good angels who they call the elect angels, and you have the bad angels who call the demons. In this passage, apparently he's seeing good angels because he's seeing this, this ladder, this, this, this uh, kind of a uh, slide thing going back and forth, and he sees these angels of God, these good angels ascending and descending. They're the messengers of God going back and forth. But notice what he sees, verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said. Now here's the Lord. And, and uh, go to the next verse, I think. The Lord. This is YHWH. This is the personal God. That's the personal name of God. YHWH. And notice it says, And the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord. There it is again. And I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. You remember what we said that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and... Jacob. And this is Jacob right here. Here he is. I am the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land of which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Now, he is saying that I am the eternal God and I am the God of the covenant. And we always say that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. People come up and say, who are the Jewish people? The Jewish people are descendants of Abraham through Isaac and through Jacob. Because Abraham had more sons other than Isaac. And Isaac had more sons other than Jacob. So the Jewish people are the descendants from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. That's the promise of the covenant. And you remember there were three parts to the covenant. What was it? The land, the seed, the blessing. Notice as we go through this. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants. There's the land. Okay. Notice verse 14. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. What's the dust? That's the descendants. That's the seed. I think, it's, yeah, the seed. That's verse 14. That's the seed. And that's going to be the, the offspring. And, of course, how many kids did he have? Who said 13? You, you were right. He had 12 sons and one daughter. What was the daughter's name? Deborah. Yeah. And so he had 12 sons. That's exactly right. And so, and, and those sons are going to become known as the 12 what? Tribes of Israel. And there's going to be all kind of people. But notice that we've seen the land. We've seen the seed. Notice the, your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, and the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be what? Blessed. There's land, the seed, and the blessing. All the nations of the earth be blessed. This is exactly... The same promise that God gave to Abraham and that God gave to Isaac, and now he gives it to Jacob. If you look through the Scripture, listen, all you have to do is just go and read these verses, read these passages, and you have to say, wow, he made the promise to Abraham, it was passed down to Isaac, and now it's passed down to Jacob. Same thing. Powerful, powerful truth. Now, let me tell you this. Jacob, who has done nothing, in God's grace, gets the covenantal blessings. Did Jacob deserve to get the land, the seed, the blessing? No. Did Esau deserve it? No. Does anybody deserve it? 
No, but God in his grace does that. And think about our lives. Do we deserve to have Jesus Christ die for us, pay for sin, and give us eternal life? No, we don't deserve anything. He's done that. He's promised us that. And, and that's the way God works. He always does it that way. Look at verse 15. We'll go quickly. He says, God says to him, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. He will never leave us. That's what he promised him. Jacob's by himself, he's a stranger, he's in a strange land, and, and God says, you don't have to worry, I'll never leave you, I'll be with you the whole time. You know what he knows? He says, I know what I'm doing, I'm going to go up there, and somehow I'm going to end up with a wife, and I'm coming back, because this is my land, the seed, and the blessing, because that's the promises. And God says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God's going to always be with him. Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, the land, the seed, the blessing, it's powerful. Jacob awakes. He realizes God's grace. That God has done something that he does not deserve. And it's the same thing for us. We get the grace of God for salvation. Watch what he says. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. <laughs> he said, man, God's here and I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. You know, most of the time we go through life as if God, what, is not with us? I mean, ain't that how we go through life? We go through life and, and you realize that God's in everything that happens. He works all events. God's in everything. We could say, gosh, God was here. I didn't even know it. Yeah, he's here. So Jacob goes, wow. And so he's going to name that something. Look what he says. He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. He says, this is God's house, this area right here. And that's the gate, that's the slide that goes up and back to heaven. Now, where did he get all this? It was in a what? It was in a dream. Now, what did he call this place? The house of God. The Hebrew word for house is bayat. The word for God is El, Bayat El, Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. He's going to name the place in a minute Bethel. Because, and Beth, well, it used to be called Luz, L-U-Z. That's what the city, the place there he is, is called Luz. That's what it was called in the past. He decides to change the name of the place. He said, God's in this place. This is God's house. For from now on, we're going to call this place Bethel, the house of God. And that's what he does. We'll see it next time as he awakes up. Look at verse 18. So Jacob rose early in the morning. This is when he woke up and he said, man, what a dream, what a, what a life. We see that he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. You ever heard the term God-fearing? I've had people say, oh, I don't want to be afraid of God. Aren't we supposed to be afraid of God? When we say, when the Bible uses God-fearing or that he was afraid and that he said how awesome is this, the word fear there doesn't mean afraid like he's going to stomp on us. It means the awe and the majesty of his character and who he is. Uh, people today use awesome all the time. Jacob said, how awesome is this place? What does awesome mean? You might know what awesome means. It means awe-inspiring. That's what it means. Awesome means it, it's awe. You go, oh, wow, whoa, that's unbelievable. That's how God is. Now, pie is great, but it's not awesome. Right? And a great athlete, you say, look at that guy run. He was an awesome running back. No, he's a good running back. He's a great running back. Only God's awesome. Only God is awe-inspiring. Only God is the one that takes our breath away. That we say, who is he? Because when you know God, everything else fades. 
And you can get all excited about sports and everything and food and laughter and everything else. And they're all fun. But when you put it all beside God, nothing matches Him. Nothing matches Him. The only thing truly awesome is God. And at the house of God, there's the ladder, the slide going up to heaven. Well, we're going to stop. We're going to see next time the detail God, Jacob's response to God. And there's going to be an issue because notice, uh, look at the very end of, ver- of, the, of the chapter, verse 22. He says, This stone which I've set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all of that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. He makes a promise at the end that he's going to give a tenth to God. And I've seen people do their whole giving uh, they teach the whole giving principle of a tenth based on this passage. And uh, I don't think you're going to see that this is the principle in the Bible for giving. I think the Bible gives us other principles, and we'll see that as well. But I'll show you how that all fits together next time. We've seen Isaac sends Jacob away. He gives him the charge to get a wife for the blessing of the covenant. Esau responds by getting mad, marries the Canaanite women. Jacob has an encounter with God. God appears and gives him the covenant and the blessings. So question number one, have you had an encounter with God? I mean, do you know the way? I mean, you know, we could put it this way. Do you know the way to heaven? Through Jesus Christ. And, and you could look at this. Think about this. Who is the Lord? Well, the New Testament says Jesus Christ is the Lord. And Jesus Christ is the way to heaven, John 14, 6, Acts 4, 12. So we come to God simply by faith. And so when I talk about, just for a second, about an encounter with God, I'm not talking about a dream or anything. I'm talking about, do you know Jesus Christ as Savior? Because the greatest thing of all is knowing that you're going to heaven by faith alone in Christ alone. It's very, very powerful. I hope every one of you in this room, and I know almost every one of you, but if you have never understood the truth, and you know, it is amazing. I've talked to people who go to church, and they've come to church here sometimes for years. I remember I talked to a girl. She came in to see me. She had gone to church almost every Sunday morning for three years. She came in to talk to me about getting married. I started asking her questions, and I said, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? And she said, I hope so. And I said, why? And she says, because I've tried to live a good life. She'd come to Countryside for three years. I said to her, have you ever heard me once in three years ever say, you go to heaven by living a good life? And she said, no. And I said, why do you think that? She said, I don't know. That's what I've always heard. I don't think she was listening. Do you? Right? So sometimes people don't listen. So I want to make sure that every one of you listen in this room that salvation is what? It's a gift. It's not your works. It's not your being good. It's not walking down an aisle. It's not anything you promise to do, hope to do, or try to do. It is all done by Jesus Christ. He has died on the cross. He's paid for sin. He has risen again. And he offers the gift of eternal life. Be very clear. The Bible's very clear. It's not making him Lord or asking him in or repenting of this or walking down this. It is faith alone and Christ alone for eternal life. I hope, and pr- I hope every one of you have trusted in Christ. And if somebody were to say to you, you're going to heaven, you'd say, I sure am. And they said, why? You'd say, because I have put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior and he has given to me eternal life. Second. Realize the promises that we have as God's children because that's what God gives to him there. He gives Jacob all the promises, the land, the seed, the blessings. What promises do we have? He's promised us eternal life. He's promised a home in heaven. He provides. He protects. There's just thing after thing after thing that he has given for us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Jesus says the same thing. So we don't have to worry. Just think about all the promises that God has. And let me tell you, whatever he promises is always true. The third thing is just realize this. We're capable of any sin. And the only reason I put that in there is because what does Esau do? Immediately, as soon as he sees what his brother gets, he goes just the opposite of what he knows he used to do. You may say, oh, I don't think I would ever do that. You don't think you would? Take heed lest you think you stand, you what? 
You fall. We're capable of any sin. You put us in the wrong place at the wrong time. We will do the wrong thing. I guarantee it. I will promise you, if you put me in the wrong place at the wrong time, I will openly sin, and you too. So do not think you're above it. We're capable of any sin. That's why we have to guard our hearts. That's why we have to guard our lives. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have accountability. That's why we're all in this thing together, because we cannot make it by ourselves. We have God, the Holy Spirit, inside of us, and he puts us in the body of Christ. Don't be, don't be an Esau who reacts in anger and sin. Trust and obey. May we realize all that we have as God's children, knowing that by faith in Christ alone we, we belong to Him, we stand on God's promises, and we must live in God's power knowing that we're capable of any sin. Let me pray, and if there's any questions or comments, we'll open it up. Heavenly Father, what a night. Thank you for this passage. Lord, thank you as we see, first of all, uh, that Isaac does actually what's right. He blesses Jacob and sends him on his way, and, and we thank, thank you for that and thank that it all worked good, but we saw how Esau, who was mad, who actually does the wrong thing, and Lord, we know that we're capable in the same way, that something doesn't go our way. We're just as wrong maybe to turn around and do something wrong as well. May we be careful, take heed lest we think we stand, we fall. Lord, we just have to trust in you. Lord, we see that, that in your grace, you gave to Jacob the promises, just, just as you said, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, all those promises. And Lord, he did nothing to deserve it in the same way that you've given to us eternal life. We do nothing to deserve it. And Lord, thank you for your grace to us. Lord, thank you for the Bible and how perfect it is. And just help us as we continue to study, as we see these things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.